Harry was speeding towards the ground when the crowd saw him clap his hands to his mouth as though he was about to be sick. He hit the field on all fours, coughed, and something gold fell into his hands. I've got the snitch, he shouted, waving it above his head, and the game ended in complete confusion. What's up, potheads? Welcome to the restricted section, in which a bunch of nerds with potty mouths reread the Harry Potter series for the umpteenth time and discuss how the story and its themes have stayed with a generation into adulthood. Thank you for listening. If you haven't done the reading, don't worry, we did it for you. Here's what we are talking about today. In chapter 11, Quidditch, we find our hero Harry Potter playing in his first Quidditch match against rival Slytherin. There's a lot of anticipation and buildup, but during the big game, Harry quickly realizes that there are other players not on the field trying to influence the outcome of the game with dire consequences. Although Mike was kind enough to do our intro for us this week, he unfortunately was called away on dog dad duty, and so you will not hear him in the rest of this week's episode. Thanks, Mike. We miss you. Ready? Okay. What's up, snitches? <laughs> what up? Uh, I stole that joke from Brooke. Good joke, Brooke. You had Thank permission. you. Today we're talking about Quidditch. Yep. The only sport I've ever cared about never will. <laughs> yeah, that's true, because we all hung out to watch the Super Bowl, which you don't actually watch it, and you wouldn't come, because that's how much yeah. you hate football. <laughs> yeah. Which You're was a bad wrong. choice, because that was a fun time. That was actually an incredibly fun night. R.I.P. Haley. Mm-hmm. I don't regret it. Your hatred for sports is greater than your love for your friends. Yes. And that's why I think that you're a real, really a Slytherin, but let's move on. So, talking about Quidditch today, let's go around the circle, see who's here. And we did this question last week, but I want to hear it from you guys, too, because this chapter is obviously about Quidditch. Um, if you're on a Quidditch team, what position would you play? My name's Christina. I'm your host, and I would be the commentator. Last week I said I'd be a beater. I've changed my answer. I don't want to play. That's a lot of pressure. I'm not very good under pressure, especially with things I'm not good at. So I'd be the commentator. I think I'd be really good at that specifically. I'm great at talking. I'm Haley. I was also going to fucking say commentator, so I'm going to <laughs> uh, last minute swerve to I would be McGonagall uh, and yelling <laughs> at Christina when she gets too obviously biased. That sounds right. That's like when I get too wine drunk and you yell at me. Yeah, yeah, and then I remind you of everything that happened the night before the next day. <laughs> hey, it's Brooke, and I think I would be the snitch because I actually fucked the snitch in college. For those of you that don't know, when humans play Quidditch in collegiate settings, there's a person who dresses all in gold and runs around the entire campus trying to get <laughs> tackled who is the human snitch, and I fucked that guy, but I think that I could definitely do his job because I did most of the work anyway. <laughs> was he a catch? A- uh, no, he was not. <laughs> <laughs> I played Quidditch in college for maybe like one to two days, and but my roommate Alexis played it for, I think, like the whole year. Pretty fun to watch. To be fair, he was like pretty athletic overall. 
because um, <laughs> obviously be. it's a lot of it's a lot of running. And he was also <laughs> a male cheerleader. And we met because we were in a play together that was written by Pope John Paul II. <laughs> Your stories just never go where you're expecting them to go, but they never go somewhere boring. Um, wow, really just gotta stop saying, I'm like that. I'm gonna go Harry Potter-er, which sounds so weird, but you guys know how he does that instead of um throughout, like, the whole series? Yeah, He's like, well, well, because it's a, it's a non-rhotic accent, so, like, it's more, it, it comes out sounding more like uh. Oh my god, that's yeah. never occurred to me in my life. Yeah. But, wait, we'll get to it in Goblet of Fire. Spider. Yeah, but it's all <laughs> Spider he's also kind of saying in the accent, so. Spider! Oh my Spider. gosh! That's crazy. That's mm-hmm. never occurred to me. Well, great. Tonight I'm drinking Land Shut or Land Hut Unsure Riesling from Lidl, which is one of my top three favorite grocery stores, and it's delicious. Uh, I've got um, Wicked Grove, which is from Aldi, which is hands down my favorite grocery store because uh, it's cheap as fuck. And what are you talking about? This is in no way an Angry Orchard knockoff. <laughs> we also talked about this in last week's episode about how walking into Aldi is walking into like an alternate universe that's afraid of copyright infringement off of this universe. Yes. I was drinking and left it in the other room and AHA sparkling water, black cherry and coffee flavor, which has caffeine in it. I'm going to have to look for that. That sounds amazing. Is it amazing? It's really delicious. And I don't think we've brought this up before, but I have a pretty deeply debilitating caffeine addiction. (laughs) I just don't think we've mentioned it on the podcast. I know we've mentioned it as friends. (laughs) The one day we did like your birthday affogato on the podcast, we forgot to mention it. I drink a god awful amount of coffee. I am deeply addicted to caffeine. And I make sure to say that I'm addicted to caffeine because every time I mention that I don't do drugs, someone goes, oh, well, you drink caffeine and that's a drug. So blah, blah, blah. I'm like, you're right. It's totally the same as your monthly MDMA use. But I will say it is awesome in general to be able to get my caffeine from water. <laughs> yeah, that, that is awesome. Yeah, I always tell people Brooke is sober, but she is very tolerant. And that's all you really need. It's just that a lot of sober people aren't tolerant. I party a lot. I just do it sober. (laughs) No, can't attest. Brooke parties hard. Yeah, she keeps up. Well, let's get to some Quidditch party. The November chilly weather Hogwarts description at the front of this chapter just made me want to like wrap up in like a scarf and get cozy like i love when it's cold at hogwarts like in every book it always there's always like at least one paragraph in like a time skip chapter this is the landscape and this is how the like they start lighting fires and all of the classrooms and it's all so fucking warm and toasty like hogwarts always feels so cozy well and this book um, like, I think compared to the other books, proportionally took a really l- I mean, we're only in November and we're way more than halfway through the book. So it, it took its time proportionally getting to any change in the seasons. Yeah. Yeah. What do you guys make of the overwinter Quidditch season, though? I never noticed that. I have a lot of problems with it because if nothing else, altitude makes you colder. And so they don't ever actually really discuss what a Quidditch uniform looks like. Yeah, the movies interpreted it very rugby-ish. Right. 
But they don't ever, I don't think we ever get a description of it, do we? They have, like, Quidditch robes. They have Quidditch robes, and they mention that, like, everyone's got a color. Like, the Gryffindors play in red, the Slytherins play in green. But other than that, they don't really say much. I'm just saying, like, I would want some, like, fur-lined King in the North-ass bullshit to do that. Yes. So I'm thinking, like, in terms of the school year, it would have to be in winter, but is that typical of all Quidditch? Because the Quidditch World Cup in Book 4 was played in summer. Well, you also... I mean, you said because of the school year, but like in high school, a high school soccer or football season, wait, wait, I don't know anything about sports. Not all, <laughs> abort, not, abort. All not all high school sports go over winter. True, but some of them are spring sports. So like soccer is a spring sport mm-hmm. and actually football is played in the winter. I remember that because the Super Bowl is in February. But, but, like, uh, also football isn't played in the air. Yeah. It's like right. when you go skydiving, even if you're doing it in the middle of summer, they're always like, hey, like, whatever you think you need to dress like, like, wear layers. Like, you need to be so warm. And they don't use any spell. Like, I was really thinking about it. Throughout the whole book, they use basically no spells to make any part of this easier for them. That one Quidditch game where it's raining and Hermione does the... um. Oh, the water repellent charm on Harry's glasses. The water repellent charm. Yeah, that's book three. Why don't they do that on every player's entire uniform? Because wizards don't care about (laughs) safety or comfort. They want it to be tough. Especially not for children. In most of our chapters so far, there a couple things have gone on, but like really in this chapter, it's like pretty much just Quidditch. Yeah. Well, actually, we get Snape first. True. That is true. It's kind of bookended, isn't it? Like the chapter kind of bookends with, like starts with plot and then it's the Quidditch game and then it ends with like a major plot point. Honestly, as a writer, she was probably like, how do I throw this cool Quidditch thing that I want to do in there without having it distract from the plot? And I think her solution was to throw it in there as like a very intentional distraction. And the way that she mitigated that was by doing the bookend. I will say we also get this like really nice little view of the start of like Harry, Ron, and Hermione's three-way friendship. We get them doing homework together. I just love that Hermione makes them try, but then checks it over and gives them all the right answers anyway. And that's yeah. exactly how I got through chemistry when I was yeah. in high school, is I had a friend who was good at it, who would be like, we have to try so that you can learn. And then as soon as I would <laughs> give them my homework, they'd be like, Oh no. (laughs) Yeah, it is like the first glimpse we get of the friendship that we know they grow into, the dynamic that we see later. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I love that, like, in return, uh, I I love this line about, like, Hermione had become a bit more relaxed about breaking rules Mm -hmm. since Harry and Ron saved her from the mountain troll. And she was much nicer for it because I think up to this point, like, Hermione's been very, like, lawful good about everything. Like, she's, you know, I. I'm in this environment and I don't understand it really. And I'm going to follow all of the rules because that's what I have to do in order to fit in. And like, now she actually has friends. She has a foothold in this community. So now she's like, okay, I can, I can make like a fire and a jam jar. It's fine. Yeah. Now she's neutral. Good. Which I Mm -hmm. think is like what a Gryffindor is like willing to do the right thing, even when it's not the right thing. that sounded willing better to, in my Willing head. to let the ends justify the means every once in a while. Yes, yes, exactly. Like lighting your teacher on fire, but we'll get there. Oh <laughs> yeah, Hermione. So she lends Harry a book. That's how you know they're friends. I only loan books to friends. Wouldn't it be nice if you could loan a book to a friend and like 
I don't know, you like live with them. So you're like, give it back when you're done. Yeah. (laughs) I, however, feel the flip side of that though. When like, and this is not directed towards you guys because we don't for the most part lend each other books for this reason. When someone who really doesn't understand or respect your reading preferences tries to force a book into your hands. Oh, yeah. Where they're like, you'd love this. And you're like, I don't. I don't. When Michael and I first started dating, we expressed a lot of our early love through swapping books and such. And I learned very early on that Michael is a page dog earer. I do that with my own books. I do it with my own books. I'll do it in a pinch. But I have like an extensive bookmark collection of like 1 million bookmarks. So I have no excuse. I absolutely never do it. I refuse to. It bugs the hell out of me. I have a whole collection of bookmarks from when I worked in a used bookstore. Um, People would just like donate stuff that still had bookmarks in it. So there was one that was like embroidered silk. There was one that was a fucking papyrus. Like I've um, I've got like 20. Yeah, I have a I have a pretty well that's like the thing that like my grandma and my mom always bring me from their vacations, right? It's like a bookmark. And I have a shit ton, including a papyrus one and a bamboo one and one with an angel on it from my first communion. Oh. I don't um, use that one. It's weird. It's not appropriate for the books I read these days. Remember that I, time you married Jesus? I really, really enjoy that there's a mention of Harry he says he couldn't figure out like which was more comforting the people being like hey you'll do great or the people saying that they were gonna run around under him carrying a mattress which i think is such a great (laughs) quidditch burn yeah (laughs) i'm just trying to think of who was saying that seamus for sure would be the guy to be like we're gonna follow you around with a mattress potter I know he doesn't know Luna Lovegood yet, but I feel like she would say that in all earnestness. Like, Harry, would you like me to carry a mattress underneath you while you fly? Would that make you feel better? Okay, I wanted to check with you, Tina, because in my, I know you have a British edition. So in my edition, it says that the banner that they make for Harry says Potter for president. And I figured that might not be the case in the British edition. Is it (laughs) for prime minister? (laughs) Is it? No, it says president. Yeah, <laughs> I, mean, like, I thought for sure. I mean, like, president is, like, just a general position of some things. Like, you could be the president of, like, the uh, local Rose Garden Association. I don't know what goes on in England. Rose, <laughs> <laughs> so many Rose Gardens. People in England, that's what Haley thinks of you, that all you do is tend roses. My neighbor has, like, the most beautiful, like, dusty yellow rose bushes. They look like they're made out of, like, antique books. They're so beautiful. I love them. Neighbor, if you're listening, I don't know your name. You're the one with the baby on the corner. Your rose bushes are amazing. Let's go chronologically, because what happens first? Harry gets a book confiscated by a super grumpy pants professor Snape. What kind of teacher confiscates a book? Fucking Snape. <laughs> and like, can we just briefly discuss how unbelievably ride or die Ron is? Because I love Ron. Oh yeah. So much. Like, wonder what's wrong with his leg. Dunno, but I hope it's really <laughs> hurting him. Like, just he didn't Snape didn't even do shit to Ron in this scenario. He just fucked over Ron's <laughs> best friend in a mild minor, minor way, and Ron's like, I hope you're fucking injured. (laughs) Well, the next scene that we get is Harry basically stumbling upon Snape, and weirdly enough, Filch? Filch is bandaging Snape. 
I thought it was weird too. Filch? So I think it's because Filch probably has resources. He probably has a first aid kit as a squib who works at a magic school, right? He probably has resources. And also he's low enough on the food chain of staff and faculty that you can tell him to not fucking tell anyone about this. Other teachers would say something, but Filch maybe wouldn't. Also, like, the, well, because Snape has no real reason to hide it because he's he's keeping an eye on Quirrell on Dumbledore's orders. And, like, usually when, if, like, Snape knows about, like, some shit going on, most of the professors also do, like, at least McGonagall. Mm-hmm. I think it might just be that, like, he and Filch have some kind of weird pact because they're both, like, the two most hated adult figures in the building. Yeah, they it never really goes into if Filch is dark or just a dick. It's just a dick. Yeah, I think he's just an asshole. Right? And, like, so is Snape. Snape's just a dick. Like, he's not he, outright evil, but he is a huge asshole, well, so... I mean, he's, like, low-key evil. He's, he's a little evil, but he he's is not, like... formally registered evil, right? Yeah. So that's my... That was what I was wondering, is, is Filch, like, oh, like, I know you like Voldemort, and, like, I like Voldemort, too, so I'll help you with this boo-boo. <laughs> but, like, why would Filch be pro-Voldemort? He's a fucking squib, like... That's what I was asking. It's kind of like people in, like, far-flung towns in the sticks that are, like, adamant Trump supporters, even though they're, like, they are the ones on food stamps. I guess yeah. that makes sense. There's definitely a pre- 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 precedent... There you go. For that. I was like, there's a predecessor. There's a president. Potter for president. Wait, wait, wait. (laughs) (laughs) Which, by the way, like, the whole thing with the banner is just absolutely adorable, but, because it's, like, all of his friends, like, all of his little baby friends, but another really cute fucking thing that kind of stuck out to me here is Harry thinking Snape's gonna fucking give it back. I know, like, what do you think? Because he he doesn't know why Snape hates him yet. He thinks, like, he just thinks that Snape is, like, a mean teacher who, like, kind of is grumpy towards him. But, like, he doesn't have any actual, like, motivation as far as he knows. I think he's genuinely hoping that Sprout or Flitwick will be in the staff room to back him up and be like, oh, silly Snape, like, obviously that's a book, give it back. I don't know. I don't know if whose side McGonagall would take in that instance if she would like uphold her fellow staff member. There's a line like right in here. Why should he be afraid of Snape? Like that is a line. Like he's like I. I have no real reason to fear him. Like he's. Did you ever have a teacher that just fucking hated you when you were about that age and you were like, no, 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 I can win her over. Like I, I can. I can make her see how cute and charming I am if I just ask politely for my book back. I just feel that way every time I go to the DMV, where I'm like, I have no reason to be afraid of this person, and I know that they're going to already be upset with me, but if I'm pleasant enough and I have all my documentation in order, maybe, just maybe, I'll have a really nice DMV worker. (laughs) He he thinks it's going to work, and it's just really sweet, and like, it's kind of heartbreaking, like, oh, buddy, oh, no, no. (laughs) Here's a question. All three of us have English degrees, so we know that dramatic irony is when the reader knows something that the characters don't. Does that count if we have simply read the books already? I, uh, I think there's a gray area there because it's, it is dramatic irony if you're rereading, but you do also find out at the end of this book, like, oh no, Snape actually does have, like, a generational reason for hating Harry. Like, Dumbledore tells him, like, oh no, no, they've 
they've he has a problem with your father like that's why he doesn't like you but is this dramatic irony the fact that we know the whole story and harry knows zero of it i don't think so Mm. i think because i think there's a weird point where based on whether you have read the series to completion or whether this is your first time whether it would fall into dramatic irony or foreshadowing Oh, yeah. Okay. So, so it's like still foreshadowing from like a technical standpoint. Mm -hmm. I think the reader has to be a little bit more clued in for it to really be irony. I can definitely see it being a thing where as a writer, you write something in that cracks you up because you know how this is going to go down. And that's, that's a writer for you. You I'm hilarious. (laughs) Either like I'm hilarious or like this amuses me. Yeah, yeah. Yo, and then seriously. He, and then he actually does try. Like, he he sees Snape with the leg, and then Snape spots him, and he's like, I, I just wondered if I could have my book back, and Snape's like, out. First of all, he opens the door. He sees Snape. He sees Filch. He sees everything. Nobody knows he's there. He tries to see if he can shut the door quietly. No, you don't do that step. You just leave. They're not going to be like, Harry Potter must have opened this door that I closed. You just leave, dude. You don't touch a fucking thing. He hasn't. He hasn't taken a level in sneaking yet. It's fine. <laughs> he, he'll get there. But then they they don't get much out of that. Like they don't put those pieces together until the end of the chapter. Like at that point in time, Harry's just like, huh, and they all go, huh, together. Well, I mean, like they don't really have anything to build on. Like this is well, setting up for later when they fi- when they get their next lead. Yeah, I mean, they put they put two and two together that he went, he tried to get through the trap door, but they don't go beyond f- four. So then we go to breakfast. It's just breakfast. It's the most milk toast breakfast scene. <laughs> yeah, the section is like 10 lines long. Yeah, although like it's, it, there's, I don't know, there's a lot of really good like imagery worked into this section because like it's, she's kind of giving you Harry's nerves. And I think that's really like epitomized in, you know, Seamus talking to him, not being helpful at all as usual. And then Harry's just like, thanks Seamus. Watching Seamus pile ketchup on his sausages. Like he's already (laughs) nauseous. And now here's Seamus saying unhelpful shit and being disgusting. Did you like hear the sound in your head of the ketchup bottle? Just like, No, because, you know, they don't have plastic bottles of ketchup in Hogwarts. <laughs> but I did kind of hear the noise. You they know what like, I mean? Just spiritually. They have, yeah. They have, like, like beautiful pottery gravy boats. For their like little ketchup. spoons, little silver spoons. <laughs> yeah, I think that this, like, ten-line section really just serves for some juxtaposition. We haven't really seen... We've seen Harry go through, like, a lot of really life-altering shit and... He hasn't really been nervous with the exception of the sorting hat. So it's like, what makes Harry tick? And it's like, we, we're starting to see a pattern that it's like the pressure really to like blend into this society and to like literally survive where other people are trying to really excel to prove well, that I, he belongs here. And I also really enjoy that we end up seeing a little bit more of just Gryffindors being Gryffindors. You know, when we get sorted, they're like, your house will be like your family. And we're starting to see more of that as this book progresses of not just Harry, Ron, Hermione, 
assorted extras building relationships, but really the fact that these kids are starting to get to know each other and think of each other as a unit. Yeah, and that's really exemplified with the banner, I think. Yeah. That's something that, like, <laughs> your cool older sister would do. It's so cute. Just their little baby friends. They are and so I, little. Thomas drew a big picture, and it's like, <laughs> the ruined, and Neville's with them. She's really fucking cute. <laughs> well, and I love the way that she writes it, because it's the way that they would have children have a discussion about this. It just sounds like kids talking. It said Potter for president and Dean, who was good at drawing, had done a large Gryffindor lion underneath. <gasps> Dean, can you draw a lion? Yeah, I can draw a fucking lion. And then Hermione performed a tricky little charm so the paint flashed different colors. That's so 90s. But the most horrible part of all of this is that Harry sees it right as he steps onto the field and it says his heart skipped. He felt braver. Gryffindors helping Gryffindors become Gryffindors. <laughs> There's just a lot of love in this chapter. Like, mm-hmm. and I think part of that is that it's kind of, it's almost like omniscient narration because it keeps switching between like what's going on with Harry and what's going on with all of his friends. Yeah, it's definitely not point of view the whole time. Yeah. But Har- Harry. what's not loving at all is Oliver Wood dead in the water pump up speech. They're always so bad. He he has, like, the worst anxiety. (laughs) Thank God for the twins, right? Yes. Just, okay, men and women, said Chaser Angela Johnson. And women, Wood agreed. This is it. The big one, said Fred (laughs) Weasley. The one we've all been waiting for, said George. (laughs) And they're like, we know Oliver's speech by heart. We were on the team last year. Which means that every he had multiple years to come up with something better than this is it, the big one, the one we've all been waiting for. Which, as far as I'm aware, this is the first one? Or has Quidditch been being played and Harry has just joined the team? No, I think this is the first game of the season. I think Fred so, and George are trolling, so to speak. Well, because, all right, it's so... I'm going to be really annoying and pedantic for a second, and I'm really sorry for that. Um, so That's what I brought you here for. Thank you. Um, I'm glad I fulfill a niche. Uh, so Oliver Wood is confirmed as being a fifth year, and I think fifth year is the first year that you can be a Quidditch captain. So I don't think he would have been captain last year. That's definitely... Uh, wait, a possibility. I mean, I don't, I don't remember they, ever reading that rule explicitly, but Harry does not become captain until his fifth year. Well, he becomes be, captain sixth year, but they assign prefects oh, yeah. in fifth year, but like that's when students start seem to start taking oh, more, more leadership, leadership responsibilities in mm-hmm. the school. Mm-hmm. To be equally pedantic, though, Fred and George are saying, we know Oliver's speech by heart. We were on the team last year, which would mean that Oliver would have been captain also last year to be giving this. Speech. I'm just saying, like, there, it's a slight continuity issue. I would say it's less of a continuity issue and more of just maybe Oliver Wood was really good. Also, Gryffindor in general seems to play out really fucking fast and loose with who the fuck is on their Quidditch team. That's true. Yeah, that's, that's who gives a shit about rules. We're Gryffindors. That's one there of my are favorite no rules. That's one of my favorite things about McGonagall's character is that like she's very strict, she's very uptight, but when it comes to Quidditch, all reason flies out the window. Like she just wants to beat Snape. That's all she wants in life, and she's very open about that fact. I wonder, you know, McGonagall and Snape, they're really similar in terms of like their role as teachers, right? They serve a really similar purpose. But I do think Professor McGonagall really dislikes him. 
and she just doesn't really let it out a lot. You know, like they're old coworkers who have learned to live together, even though they like don't get along. Yeah. So I want, I wonder like, I don't know. I just wonder so much about McGonagall as a character and like where her true, like what her true intentions are. And like, does she, does she hate Snape? <laughs> I mean, I think she kind of does. And I also kind of have a low key theory that like, we know that Sirius is Harry's godfather. I can see Lily making uh, McGonagall his godmother. That's interesting, but I'm not sure that there's any indication that they were like close enough for that. It's M- just a, McGonagall would have been Lily's teacher. Yeah. yeah, but like I can see Lily being like the teacher who's uh, the student who stayed friends with her teacher. Like it's just my pet theory. I because like McGonagall just... buys him a broom and everything. I think you're conflating. what little we know about Lily with all that we know about Hermione. I think there's, I think they are similar figures, but honestly, like Hermione just never really entered my head. I just see Lily as being like the student who can like crack McGonagall's like shell a little bit. But we don't, we don't really see that so much as her just kind of like palling around with kind of a bunch of troublemaking fuckwits and like not in a charming Mm. way, like Harry and, Ron are in like a genuinely mean like our bullies way I I don't think we see enough of Lily's character to know one way or another we know that she was very talented we know that she's Harry's mom we know that she was married to James and that bitch had green eyes green so much eyes. green eyes while we're talking about Hermione throughout this whole chapter I could not stop picturing her hair from the Sorcerer's Stone movie yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just all if she's running and talking, she's like in the stands. I just kept picturing they really just it wasn't good. The first two movies were god awful and then by book three they were like, Okay, you're beautiful. We'll give you these beautiful curls. Okay. I have a question. Is Madame Hooch on a broom? She's gotta be. Because it says fifteen brooms rose up high, high into the air, they were off. If there are 15 players, then someone's down a player? There's seven people on a team, so I think one has to be Madame Pooch. Three chasers, two beaters, one keeper, one seeker. And then we go into what is just a long, rambling paragraph of words, guys. Where? All of it. The next, like, the Lee Jordan's entire giant commentary dump. Oh, I love it. I am not a fan. This reads to me as someone who felt like she painted herself into a corner and had to give us a Quidditch scene, but did not want to. So we did talk about this at length in the last episode, but we shown a different light on it in the last chapter about how Lee Jordan is the tool that JK Rowling gave herself to facilitate writing about this um, nightmare sports shoot. Because, like, imagine, imagine how much more boring it would have been. Because this is like one paragraph. Like, if you're not a fan of this paragraph, it's gonna be over before the page is done. Imagine if you had to like watch the whole game through Harry's eyes. See, I would rather though be on the ground with the Gryffindors. But like, also, she knew that she was going to have to have like at least one Quidditch game, like almost every book. So, like. She had to have somebody doing it. I'm going to just, like, generally hot take and say that overall, I thought this was a really garbage chapter. Oh, yeah. I I do not think it's well written. I mean, definitely action scenes are hard to write, sports scenes are hard to write, and nothing 
relating to the actual plot of this book is happening. So I, I also think that like with the commentary, this might be another, I think I've brought up before, like a lot of Harry Potter, especially the first couple of books are very openly like lampooning aspects of like British culture. And I think this is JK, like making fun of the way that soccer commentators talk. Interesting. I don't know, I don't know anything I, about the way soccer commentators talk. I don't either, I, but like... I don't either. The rare times that I have ever watched any sports, like, the, this is how the fucking commentators talk, and that's part of why I hate sports, but like, I like it with Lee Jordan because he's an asshole. I love Lee Jordan so much. Also, I mean, this, this nonsense sport, his nonsense, but the most nonsense part about it is that no one can fucking see what's happening. They're all watching it with binoculars because they're on the ground and everybody else is up in the fucking air well they are in razors risers so they're at least like slightly off the ground sean i was reading this aloud to sean my fiance and we were estimating that the stands are probably about 100 feet up or they'd have to be in order to like keep track of the game and the reason that we were I'm wondering about that is because it talks about how Hermione gets out of her seat and runs around the entire pitch to light Snape on fire. And Sean's like, that's a lot of running. Does she have to run all the way down these stairs? But we'll get to that when we get there. So they're slightly up in the air. They're not on the ground. They are not as high as Harry, who's just chilling in the clouds, just waiting for a Dementor to come knock him off his broom. Hey, that's strategy. So one of the, like, my fave Lee Jordan moments in this entire chapter is actually the fact that Lee Jordan spots the snitch and points it out. (laughs) (laughs) I would too, probably. Like, he's the first person to be like, hey, was that the snitch? And then everyone's like, oh, fuck. And like, (laughs) neither of the seekers saw it. And I'm just imagining Lee Jordan, because he's a sassy, delightful dude, just being like, I'm bored of saying all this stuff i want to see the game take place i'm gonna let them know that the snitch is there how do you think lee jordan got this job do you think he volunteered or do you think he was like nominated i think he fully volunteered i think it was a speed test where they gave you a page worth of words and the first person to finish was the one that got the job. <laughs> like an know, because in year well no because <laughs> in book five remember when lee jordan has graduated uh or no i think it's book six um Luna Lovegood takes over and, and she that, does not talk fast. She talks very slow. She's such a funny commentator. I can't wait to get to that in several years. <laughs> so they see it. They're diving after it. They get a foul, which is literally only written in there so that she can make a soccer reference, I think. <laughs> yeah. Because Dean Thomas goes, send him off, ref, red card. And they're like, the fuck is a red card? And he's like, you get shown a red card and you have to leave. Ron's like, but this isn't soccer, Dean. You can't just, like, give Harry the snitch. You have to have, like, one fake out. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I love, like, to be fair. She doesn't give Harry the snitch at all. Like, I know I'm jumping the head, but the way that he actually ends up catching it is... Obviously, in the movie, it's like a moment, right? Where he's like angling for it, and it's this thing that happens. And basically, in the books, he catches it in the way that you catch a fly in your mouth while you're riding a bike. It's the difference between him earning it and him like stumbling into it. Because in the movie, you feel like he earned it because he pursues it, and him 
eating it in the end is just something crazy that happens. But in the book, he literally like trips into it and eats it by accident. Like accidentally it flies into his mouth. It negates everything that they've just been saying about like, oh, he's so talented and he's got this innate ability and blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. And then he basically just like, I don't know, crashes ass backwards, (laughs) mouth forwards into (laughs) catching this snitch. And then like, even then, like, you know, Flint immediately, I hate to agree with that dude, but he's literally like, he didn't catch it. He nearly swallowed it. And it's like, I'd be a little bit pissed too. It kind of seems like it was a fluke. And I think that if I were on the other team, I would definitely assume that someone had like charmed it to fly into Harry. When you're talking about Flint, though, uh, this this just is like, he's in the whole chapter. He's the captain of the Slytherin Quidditch team. Just like the way that the books and the movies both like together and separately really make you hate the Slytherins. In the movie, Marcus Flint, he is like an actual troll. He's like, oh, yeah, you go fly over there. Take that side. He's like disgusting. Like an orc. He's an orc. <laughs> Not everyone at Hogwarts is, can be pretty, okay? All the pretty ones are in Gryffindor. It's Them's the rules. God, how much would that suck if the sorting hat was like, your mind's saying Gryffindor, but your, your face, face says is Hufflepuff. Me Hufflepuff. <laughs> She's a Huffle face. <laughs> As a, like, I'm a Hufflepuff, so I can say that kind of stuff. <laughs> uh, but before we get to that Harry's broom gets fucky fucked oh Harry's second assassination attempt of his life Fred and George are unable to get him onto their brooms because they fly up and try yeah. to get him yeah. no, like and the whole floating away so they just start circling waiting for him to fall hoping they can catch him where the fuck is Madam Hooch to be fair should have let your peers bring those mattresses also, also, as I said in the fucking Neville flying off chapter, when Guardian Leviosa exists <laughs> and is a simple spell to teach to children and no one thinks to interrupt someone falling to their death. So Harry's broom starts, starts lurching about. As you said, the Weasley twins try to save him. The whole Weasley family is just so ride or die because like the twins, the twins have at this point adopted Harry. Like they're, they're like, you're our totally. brother Totally. I, I definitely was like, you know, they fuck around a lot. And Ron does, a lot of the the Weasley children fuck around a lot in their own ways. But you can tell when it counts that Molly has trained them the right way. And in the opposite direction, Flint keeps scoring on the Gryffindor goal while everyone is trying to sort out the fact that Harry is dangling by a finger. Every time he scores, he's going to have to, like, go back for the ball, right? Like, it's, he has to, like, go and catch it and then go around and then score again. Lee Jordan's commentary kind of dips out at this point, so it's unclear if it's simply not being reported or if he's, like, no longer commentating during this, like, whole thing. Correct me if I'm wrong, I didn't actually count, but I think those points, like, do end up counting because... Yeah, they do. They never, yeah, because they never, like, call a timeout, technically. Yeah. yeah, but it's unclear if Lee Jordan is like, 
Oh, Harry is fucking falling off his broom, and fucking Marcus Flint just scored six times. So can somebody it, fucking stop these yeah, goddamn yeah, I think Slytherins? <laughs> I mean, I think there's like a conversation that we don't see of everyone being like, "Well, d- those points don't count because we were all distracted." And then, yeah, like, I think, well, um, but in that case, then Harry catching the snitch wouldn't count because, again, like, if we're calling it a de facto timeout, then it wouldn't fucking. But you know, it all works out in the end. I think that. um... Oh my god, what was I about to say? Oh. Marcus Flint scoring, Lee Jordan's commentary, everyone distracted. Eh. And then Hermione fucking lights Snape on fire, which I mean, is the moment that she endears herself to us all. Oh my god, Hermione in the span of like a chapter has just gone full team badass. She's like, wait, I can use this innate ability I have not just to get points and impress teachers, but to fuck shit up. Yeah. Truly, I think not to be the most helpful person in the room, but I truly think it's the power of friendship that gives you the confidence to be more true to yourself. If you know that you have people who will have your back, you can do what you think is right. And in terms of being like the most true to herself, she sets Snape's cape on fire, but then as to cause no damage, she scoops the fire up back into a jar. Leave no trace. Girl Scouts honor, right? Also, like, shout out to Hermione's character development because at the beginning of the chapter when Harry knew that, had for a fact that Snape had, like, tried to get past Fluffy and got bitten and was like, he must be trying to steal whatever's under the trap door. And she was like, no, he wouldn't do that. He's a teacher. But then as soon as Harry's broom starts fucking acting up, like, Hermione's got her data. She's been taking notes. Like, she might not have thought that he was trying to steal shit, but now there's an assassination attempt and it's not a fucking coincidence. So she immediately grabs Ron's binoculars and zeroes in and she's like, I fucking knew it. I mean, she's a a Ravenclaw, right? Like, she's very fact-driven and she sees the evidence with her own eyes. This is a true correlation is not causation situation because we all know that it's, it's not Snape. But... We've all been in that situation where you think you know exactly what you're looking at and she acts immediately and and that's the Gryffindor in her. So something that Sean pointed out to me, I should read aloud to him more because he has great points. I mean, his memory of this story is the films, it's not the books. And so when Hermione goes rocketing into the teacher zone and she knocks Professor Quirrell headfirst into the row in front of him and then goes to set Snape on fire. Sean was remembering that in the movies, Coral is just like right next to Snape and is also affected by the fire, right? I was just laughing because can you imagine tiny 11-year-old Emma Watson shoving an adult so hard he goes barreling into the seat in front of him? There's like no, that sounds fine in writing, but there's no way to execute that physically without it being completely ridiculous. I don't know. Like I have gone to sports ball games against my will and been in stands in like like large stadiums with children running past and uh, they'll fucking get you, man. Like they will tangle up their legs in yours in ways that you cannot believe and and like you feel you feel like you're higher up than you are snape got some weak sauce magic shit no wonder he's the fucking potions master instead of the defense against dark arts teacher if he can't (laughs) write a broom can't write the broom he's like muttering a counter curse and it's what deeply ineffective quirrell does have all of the power of ghosty voldemort boy behind him (laughs) yeah there's a little moment, like, after Harry, like, gets back on his broom that, like, I've never noticed before, but hurt my heart so bad, 
where Ron says, Neville, you can look. Neville had been sobbing into Hagrid's jacket for the last five minutes because like, think of all the shit that kid's been through. And now he's at school and he's like kind of making friends and he's like doing okay, finding some stuff he might be kind of good at, like getting close with Professor Sprout as we find out later and shit. And then it's like, I'm about to watch one of my classmates, like one of the people who's nice to me die. Yeah. Horribly and publicly. It kind of reminded me of when I'm watching a movie that's a little bit too intense for me because, I mean, crazy shit never happens to me in real life. So it's like when you're like watching a movie and you're just like, oh, oh my fucking God. Like you emotionally can't, you just can't take what you're witnessing. Mm -hmm. My little heart. As someone who has been almost abducted, your brain reacts the same way in a real scenario where you're in grave danger, where your brain's just like, hey, we don't have time to process this, so we're just gonna, like, fight real hard to stay alive, and you can reflect on this later. And, like, to this day, it's not a fear feeling. It's just like a, oh, shit, that was wild, man. I was in a hut on a beach in Samoa, and, uh, two people tried to break into the little cabin I was staying in and I ended up talking them down completely logically. Um, 100% Ravenclaw, 0% Gryffindor. Wow. Uh, I ended up uh, leaning out the window and convincing them that my husband had showed up, which I didn't have a husband, but I had a ring and so I put it on as a fake wedding band and try and convinced them that my husband had showed up and he was sleeping and he would be upset if he like woke up and saw me talking to another man. Culturally, that's a big deal for them. And it only worked because I had mosquito netting over my bed. And when you shine a light onto mosquito netting, you can't see inside it. I've been shining lights in all the windows and trying to break down the doors. Wow. Um, I had a hardcover book. My whole plan was that if I could like get the jump on them, if they came through the door, if I hit them in the head and tried to push them off balance, that I could probably run faster. And when I run for exercise i'm like you have to be able to outrun someone who's coming to get you that's like the only thing that keeps me going while i'm running is i'm like someone is fucking chasing you are you outrunning them or are you stopping to catch your breath to be fair i mean adrenaline gives you feats of incredible yeah. strength like harry hanging on by a single hand on the i room. know like i felt that you know that that moment totally. where you're like, okay like I don't have another option. Like this is a do or die moment. And it's like literally do or fucking die. They don't mention it in this chapter, but they do mention it in later books that you don't bring your wand with you when you go to play Quidditch. So even if he could do something himself, when Guardian Leviosa himself, which I don't even know how much you can perform those kind of spells on yourself, but they don't bring wands with them so he really is like full muggle status just hanging out in midair and he is holding on with just his two hands sean kept saying like he wouldn't he wouldn't be holding on anymore like he would have been fallen by now but i i don't think so i think that if like you're the grip of your two hands is all you have with adrenaline in a moment like that they can save you well, I remember when I was in that very scary situation, my, I always said it felt like my bones melted and had been replaced with titanium. Like I felt like a chill go down my legs and I knew that they had the power to do whatever the fuck I needed them to. Like your brain goes into a musculature override. Yeah. And so I 100% believe he would be able to hang on because he wasn't thinking about anything else at that moment. And he's there for a while. Yeah. Yeah. It was like a couple minutes. With totally. the broom tr- actively trying to buck him off. Right. 
And then he like recovers completely and pretty easily and then catches the snitch like two minutes later. And my favorite little line here, the game ended in complete confusion. Yes, I love that. We, I feel like it's just like, okay, we're there. You don't need to say anything else. People are yelling. No one knows what happens. Cheater, red card. This isn't soccer. Yeah, right. he's 11. And, it's all going over his head. And <laughs> then Hermione and Ron literally just like shuffle him off to Hagrid's hut for like a, a refreshing and like fortifying cup of tea because that's what you need after you've almost died. Strong black tea. Where I have an impulse to have, like, a big glass of red wine. That's where these British children have a strong cup of black tea. Like, specifically at Hagrid's house. Like, something traumatizing happens. Invariably, they wind up at Hagrid's house drinking tea and not eating his food. So, Hagrid notoriously is a terrible cook. Do you think he makes an okay pot of coffee? I think he makes a strong-ass cup of tea. Oh, I meant to say tea. God, I'm so un-British. <laughs> so American. I just love coffee. I drink tea too, but like for a completely different reason than I drink coffee. Whereas I feel like some other people and like in this scene, it's like almost like they're using it interchangeably for coffee. We get this last little like the bookend to the reason this whole chapter actually happened, which is for Hagrid to name drop Fluffy. Yeah. And Nicholas Flamel. And Nicholas Flamel. Fluffy, like, come the, on, Hagrid. The goodest boy. I do wonder, like, is Fluffy okay? Like, in the end, is he okay? Where does he go? Is he a good boy? Is he house trained? Where is he going to the bathroom? Yeah, where is he going to the bathroom while he's trapped in the castle? Oh. You know Fluffy takes some monster fucking shits. Well, I mean, they can vanish the shits. Who is vanishing the shits? I don't know, man. Someone. Probably the teachers. Probably the teachers draw straws. That or they've got Filch just in there with a snow shovel. (laughs) What if that was the excuse you got for Snape's leg? He was like, "I was vanishing fluffy shits. What do you want me to do?" Can you imagine Professor McGonagall on shit vanishing duty? Uh, Professor McGonagall is the one who holds the straws. I think Hagrid probably does it. He just like scoops it because. It's like his dog. Yeah, that's true. That's his contribution to defending the Sorcerer's Stone, and he maintains it. Yeah. I mean, in the movie, you see it as a room, and I think that's kind of, like, replaced a lot of our, like, interpretations of it. But I guess Fluffy does have, like, that whole corridor. Corridor. It's the third floor corridor. Yeah, corridor. It's It's like half of that whole floor, basically. That's the kind of thing where the movies really do, like you said, like, he only has a room in the movie. And even though, as an adult, I know what a corridor is, when I was a kid reading this, I didn't really know what a corridor was. And I just imagined it however I imagined it. And then the movies came out and I was like, that's a fucking corridor. Yeah. Well, in the movies, they end up in the corridor and then it's a room in the corridor. Yeah. So, so unclear whether Fluffy actually lives in the corridor or if he lives in a room in the corridor. They've got to take him out for, like, walks every once I don't know, dude. How are you going to take Fluffy out for a walk? They've got a curfew. Like, leave a couple of teachers to guard the door. And then, no way, like, while dude. Hagrid takes Fluffy out for a run in the Forbidden Forest. I think you would have to give him, like, a porky if you wanted him out of there. And then mm. the stone is left undefended, kind of. Maybe he has toys. Maybe it's just, like, not mentioned, but they've got, like, tug toys. 
show me a Kong ball big enough for Fluffy. It's like basketballs. He's just got basketballs. Just like a basketball full of peanut butter. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, can you wait? Let's talk about Fluffy for a minute because this poor baby. Can you imagine? You know he can smell dinner from where he is. Every night. What do they feed him? Oh my god, do the house elves take care of his shits? Or does Haggard go out with his crossbow and collect, like, deer and shit? I I mean, I could believe that. I would more believe Hagrid just taking soul care of Fluffy. Because he's also not afraid of him. He's the only person that's like, nah, I got this. And it's his contribution. Mm -hmm. Harry, once again, immediately puts shit together in that Hagrid, like, kind of goes, that's between Professor Dumbledore and Nicholas Flamel. And Harry immediately is like, aha, so there's someone called Nicholas Flamel involved, is there? Like, Harry is apparently fairly average at his classes, above average, but also just lucky at Quidditch. He is a top-notch mystery solver. Like, I think Aurors are a little bit mystery solvers, but like oh, yeah. 100% makes sense that that's the career he went into. Because he's solving mysteries Scooby-Doo style his entire fucking school. <laughs> yeah. I think that there's something to be said for the way he was raised. Also, um, completely um, banned from asking questions. So he has to, like, listen to the details and figure out what's happening. Yeah. Also, fair. like, speaking of the way he was raised and that specific line, like, when I was reading this earlier... You know how, like, when you're, especially at that age, like, you're you're old enough that, like, you can articulate your thoughts, but, like, a lot of your articulation is still coming from, like, the environment you were raised in? I heard Uncle Vernon in that line. Like, that sounds like an Uncle Vernon thing to say, like, so there's someone called Nicholas Flamel involved, is there? That's really true. Well, well that's the end of the chapter, huh? There's usually a really organic place to end it, but not today. This chapter we just was got garbage, to the guys. I did not like this chapter. I... No. You, Brooke, you hate every chapter. You say that every single episode. I do not say that every single episode, but this chapter was, in fact, garbage. We're all nerds. No one wanted to do the sports chapter. So thank it's, you guys for doing it with me. It's not just the fact that it's sports. It's the fact that I can feel in the way that it's written that I would say that in a first draft of this book, this chapter wasn't included. I could see an editor being like, hey, you keep talking about this game, we should probably see it get played at some point. And I can see her like begrudgingly figuring out an announcer deal and just being like, okay, fine, I'll, I'll, I'll dictate a bullshit sports game. Because even the broom curse thing, while it seems significant, isn't. It's an easy add-in that's like dismissed and briefly talked about later, but it doesn't actually develop the plot or the mystery pretty much at all. All it serves to do is to put more blame on Snape. You have to remember that we were 11 when these books came out, and so or like 8, whatever, we were young. So it's like you have to do it in a way that's really palatable for children. You have to give these kids a reason to really distrust this character. Like the whole point of this chapter, I think, is just that it's a red herring. Mm-hmm, yeah. Yep, totally. Well, and you have to get to this Hagrid thing at the end. You can't, that can't be its own chapter. You have to have something to go with it. I could see it getting worked into another chapter, though. You know what I mean? Like, my conspiracy theory is that in a first draft of this book, that chapter was not included, and an editor was like, hey, you got to give us Quidditch. As an editor, I'd probably recommend it. Right. For this age group? I would, too. 
honestly, as an editor, if she'd tried to like write out the whole game, I, I, I disagree. I would have, I would have recommended the commentator thing. I think that she like, like, I think she tried to write a Quidditch game and it got too boring and she was like, fuck it, I'm just writing the commentary. <laughs> Those I are both really good either. theories. This is a chapter that doesn't necessarily, to me, read like JK and it doesn't really mesh that well with the rest of the story, especially for the real estate that it takes up, given the fact that we're almost two thirds of the way through the book. I don't know. I think every Quidditch game throughout the series kind of reads like this. Something always goes on during a Quidditch game that, like, has to do with the plot somehow, either the interpersonal shit with the Slytherins or whatever, or, like, Harry being attacked by Dementors. And in the background, you've always got, like, Lee Jordan's commentary just to keep things interesting. I think that that was probably established in this book and then became a, a trope for the rest of the series. That's a tool that she can use for the rest of it, and she does. Right. But we never just get a straight Quidditch game. And I think it's because JK doesn't want there to be one. Well, you have to remember that the plot of these books isn't Quidditch. It's this other thing, whatever the other thing of the book is. So every scene has to be a tool. And if the scene involves Quidditch, then that has to be a tool. You have to introduce Quidditch in this way in the first book because either he's a legendary Quidditch player or he's not, right? And you either have to make that a part of his story or you have to not even go there. I just could have done with him not being good at Quidditch at all. I think that the whole thing with Quidditch is that, I think we talked about this a couple chapters ago, but like sometimes as a writer, like especially when you're planning out like a long con with a series, you'll come up with something and you're like, I don't know exactly how this is going to come in handy later, but I know it's going to come in handy. And yeah. Quidditch specifically throughout the whole series, except for like the couple of times when it's not involved, like book four, it's mostly just like to increase the tension and hair like of Harry's personal life. Cause Harry's trying to be a fucking normal teenager while all of this plot shit's going on. But like, if it was just the plot shit, then the books would be over way too fast. But with the whole Quidditch thing, like it increases his enmity with fucking Malfoy. It's kind of a link to the rest of the school so that you don't like forget that, oh, right, there's like a whole other school going on. It's another stressor for his personal life. It's a tool that serves a lot of purposes. Yeah. And like, and also, again, like shit always ends up going down at the Quidditch games. And you have to give Harry the character something that he really deserves. He's the chosen one, which that's something that happened to him. And he's not particularly great at magic. So you have to give him something that he really enjoys, that he's really good at, that connects him to this community that he's newly a part of. Is that a great place to end this episode? I think that's probably... Well, great. Cool. Thank you for slogging through that with me. I mean, okay, let's do this real fast. We all agree it was like a pretty shitty chapter. What was your favorite part? Honestly, I, I always really enjoy Lee Jordan's commentary. My favorite part was the description of Cold Hogwarts. I think my favorite part, this is so stupid, but I think my favorite part is the twins refusing to leave Harry in his moment of need and being like so determined to help him no matter what. We've only seen them for like five seconds and all five of those seconds so far have been just completely trolling other people. So this is the first indication that they have real character underneath that. I love them. Are you guys ready to move on to some plugs? Yeah. Sure. All right. Brooke, you want to start? 
you can follow me on Instagram at Passion for Parks. I'm currently posting a park a day from my park travels. Um, I'm trying to pick good pictures, then talk a little bit about my favorite national parks. Can confirm I've been really enjoying those and liking them from all seven Instagram accounts that I run. I appreciate it. Um, I finished The Golden House by Rushdi. It was amazing. Um, if you've not read a lot of Rushdi, he only writes sweeping epics. Like, you always get his children, like his characters as like children first. And then you see them grow up and you see them do important things. And it's a writing style that I really enjoy. A lot of his books are magical realism. This one wasn't, which was really fun. And I highly recommend it to anyone that feels weird about where we are as a society and some of the choices we're making. All right. Uh, well, speaking of feeling weird about where we are as a society and where we're going, and also book loaning, which we discussed earlier, Christina lent me Ishmael by Daniel Quinn. Don't worry, it has nothing to do with Moby Dick, my least favorite book. Oh, God. Ulysses. Thank God. Um, I would never. I mean, the homoeroticism couldn't even save it. Like, that's a lot. <laughs> um, so Ishmael is about a philosopher who is also a gorilla trying to talk to a dude about how human humanity doesn't really matter. It's great. Can confirm. It's an incredible book. If anyone who's looking for an introduction to becoming woke, I recommend it. Oh, it's my turn. Yes. I would like to plug myself. Follow me on Instagram at your girl of the world. Follow me on Twitter at girl of the world, but I'm pretty sure the doesn't have an E in it. So it's like girl of world. <laughs> also, I made this very podcast, a Twitter account today to see how that goes. There's a 15 character limit, which restricted section is like 16 or 17 characters. So right now our handle is the RS podcast. I think it's actually the RS pod. I'm currently accepting alternatives. I could not figure it out. Was restricted pod available? Do you think that's better? Yes. All right, I'll look that up. Guys, just type in the restricted section and you'll find us. I'm also going to plug, you guys can't see it, but I'm wearing a shirt. <laughs> Aren't we all? <laughs> <laughs> no. no. I'm wearing a shirt that says, Stay Home, Read Books, Save Lives by Richmond Reads. My good friend and restricted section regular, Mary Payton, is running a fundraiser through Bonfire, which is a platform that makes t-shirts to raise money for cool stuff. And so she designed and is selling these shirts to raise money to support local Richmond area bookstores during our coronavirus lockdown plague situation. So you can find her on Instagram at Richmond Reads, and it's her link in the bio to find this shirt. So do that. Even if you don't live in Richmond, support small business. The Richmond area bookstores are incredible, and this shirt is sexy, as so sexy as a t-shirt can be. So there, guys. Stay home, read books, save lives, and come the fuck to my house when this is all over, please. <laughs> Goodbye. Bye. Bye. 
The Restricted section was created and hosted by me, Christina Kahn, based on the book series by J.K. Rowling. All music by Ryan Kahn. Logo by Michael Hardison. Technical support from Sean Watson. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at restrictedsectionpod or shoot us an email at restrictedsectionpod at gmail.com. We'd love to hear your thoughts, feelings, complaints, conspiracy theories, or lavish praise. Michael fucking loves, loves top, top 10, 10 lists. <laughs> Dude, every, it's my weakness. Every top 10 YouTube video or top 10 article that has ever been put out in the world. It doesn't even have to be something I like or agree with. I'm just like, oh, I, I need to know what the top 10 1983 songs were like. <laughs> I've definitely seen videos on YouTube that are like top 10 unique kitchen gadgets for watermelons. Michael has watched that video.